This evening's reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, um, verse 4 to chapter 4, verse 6. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all, because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Well, Laura, thank you, and thank you, Andrew, for leading us and musicians. Um, Good evening. It's good to be here together. Uh, We're going to come back into 2 Corinthians, and we're going to look at the first six verses of chapter 4, not the whole of that reading, just the first six verses of chapter 4. But you'll have gathered from the reading that it's, um, the reason to read the whole lot is that it's not a new section, Uh, it's rather continuing from what we heard uh, last week. So it would help you just to keep your Bible open, just so you can see that, how it all connects. And uh, if you uh, would like them, uh, there are some notes just on the back of the service sheet uh, to show you where we're going. Let's pray and ask the Lord Jesus for his help. 3 verse 18 says this, We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. 
Our Father, our prayer uh, is uh, really uh, to put that into practice for us this evening, that as we uh, gaze at the Lord Jesus Christ, as we hear of his gospel, his good news for us, that you might transform us to become like him. Do that work by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you can remember last week, last week's application was be bold. Be bold in Christian ministry. And if that was last week's application, well, this week's is uh, similar, but uh, slightly different. This week's is do not lose heart. Be bold. Do not lose heart in Christian ministry. It's there in uh, verse 1. Uh, If you were to flick over the page later on in verse 16, uh, you see exactly the same phrase. We do not lose heart. Now, losing heart is something that we're all prone to. Think of a child attempting a puzzle. Uh, They make a good start. They put a few bits together. But after about 10 minutes or so, uh, they say, look, I can't do it. It's just too hard. And so they lose heart. Maybe if you're a parent, you've lost heart. A long run of um, middle-of-the-night wake-ups will do that. All those mealtimes when the kids don't eat their dinner, they just seem to be ignoring you. You feel like giving up. I've just had enough, say. You've lost heart. And many of you are students. Sometimes the course will feel like a real slog. Or you've been in a job and you're trying to get on with difficult colleagues and your boss is always on your case. Whatever you do, no matter how hard you try, none of it seems to matter. Stop the bus, let me get off, is what you think to yourself. You've just lost hearts. You've had enough. We lose heart. We lose heart in the stress and the struggle of life. It's just what we're like. We struggle to persevere. We struggle to keep going under pressure. We become discouraged and we want to give up. I wonder if that sounds familiar. In 2 Corinthians, we've seen that Paul is under pressure. His ministry is being discredited by others. And these detractors, they've been saying that his ministry is weak and it's unimpressive and it's powerless. They say things like, look, all he does is teach the Bible. You know, that's never going to work. He needs to do something more exciting. Or they say stuff like, look, he just... He keeps on calling people out on their sin. And he keeps talking about repentance. He's just upsetting people. He's not going to win people over like that. Or they say, well, just look at how many people in the culture hate him and his message. Look at how much grief he gets for what he preaches about Jesus. He can't be doing it right if that's what's happening. I think if all that stuff was being said about me as I sought to serve Jesus... Well, I might be tempted to lose hearts. I wonder if you would too. Just want to give up. And as well as all the outside uh, criticism, Paul also will carry internal discouragements. We know from the early chapters that he feels the pain of people that he sought to reach but who've just rejected the message. He knows the heartache of seeing some come to profess faith in Jesus, but who have since turned their backs on him. And he carries the burden for those who are falling into sin, who are refusing to take steps 
forwards in the Christian life. All those discouragements, we know those too, don't we? It can be so discouraging. There are lots of reasons why someone might lose heart as they seek to serve Jesus. But Paul has been teaching us that his kind of simple, Bible-explaining, Jesus-proclaiming ministry, weak, ordinary, and ineffective as it seems, is actually the ministry of the Spirit of God, that it has the power to remove the veil over people's hardened hearts, and that this authentic ministry is the only way to save people from condemnation, and that it will gloriously transform them to become like Jesus. He's taught us that this kind of ordinary Bible ministry is in fact the ministry of glory. We saw that last week. And so despite all the criticism, and despite the suffering and the rejection that he faces, and despite the discouragements that there are, he says 4 verse 1, Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose hearts. It's a ministry given by God's mercy. Paul knows what a great privilege it is that God has involved him in this glorious ministry. He's humbled by it. He knows that it's only by God's mercy that he's received this ministry. It's not because he is capable or gifted, but only because God was merciful to him. And that's true for us too. Have you ever felt, well, look, God, I know that you want me to tell people about Jesus, but I'm just not up to the job. Or if you've ever felt, look, I'm just not capable, or I don't have the energy, or I'm just not a very good speaker. And if you've ever felt that, well, you're too much of a sinner for God to use you, if you've ever felt like any of those things, here's some really good news. God did not choose you to serve him because you were up to it. He didn't choose you because you were so righteous or because you were so talented or good with people or a good teacher. He knows that you're not up to the job. He chose you and he chose me to serve him only because of his mercy. If you can remember back to the Romans series, we heard in the Romans series that we were saved only because of the mercy of God. And here we learn that we are called into God's service only by his mercy also. If God's let us serve him, this glorious ministry of telling people about Jesus, well, what a privilege that is, that he might use weak and sinful people like us to bring him glory. So this view of ministry, that, it, that it's come to him by mercy, it makes Paul determined, therefore, to keep going. And he says this also here in this verse, so that the Corinthians and us who listen, not just those in paid ministry, but all of us, weary as we might be, struggling as we are, he says it so that we will embrace this kind of authentic Christian ministry again. 
He says it so that when we are under pressure and it feels like a real slog and there are discouragements around so that we might not lose heart too. We have this ministry by God's mercy. As our first point, don't lose heart, brothers and sisters. We've been given this glorious ministry by the mercy of God. That should humble us and it should hearten us. Second, because we believe that this ministry that we saw in chapter 3, because we believe that this ministry has such power to change people, well, verse 2 to 4, we refuse to change the message in order to get results. Now, some of you are very, very successful in your fields, I know. If you are trying really hard to be successful in your field, but you find that things are are pretty hard going, if you find that the results aren't really uh, coming through and the criticism is building around you, if you're really under pressure like that, well, you're tempted to do anything to make it easier. This is why some Olympic athletes uh, use performance-enhancing drugs. I just need help. I just need some help to get the results that I need. That's why some politicians swap the policies that they believe in for more popular ones, more likely to get them some votes so they can stay in power, change the message, get the results, even if we don't believe in the policies. Paul must have faced the temptation to make things easier for himself. You can imagine, if Paul had an agent, he might say something like this, look, look, Paul, it's just not going very well, is it? I mean, your public image is going down the pan. Let me give you some advice. Try and avoid things like the need for repentance and, and Jesus' call to live a holy life. Try and avoid those in your sermons. And if you could skip the topics like judgment and hell, well, then the message will be less sharp-edged, it'll be less offensive to people. Just mention God's love, his forgiveness, his grace, and his heaven, and it will be, well, it will be much more palatable to those who hear it. Everyone loves those things. If you can do that, well, all the polls show that you'll be more successful. Actually, they're trying this up the road, and it's won loads of converts. This way of doing things gets results. And actually, Paul, while we're at it, here's another bonus. The preachers of this kind of message, well, they're not suffering like you. No, actually, they're getting some prime speaking opportunities on the BBC. And my mate Davos just got offered a top sponsorship deal by Nike. It's very lucrative to do this. Why can't you just make things easier on yourself? I'm not asking you to abandon Christianity completely. Just don't be so, well, rigid. And things will work out better for you. Do you think that might be tempting? But let's read verse 2. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's words, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. 
Those super apostles are back in view here, those people who will do anything to get results. Paul's well aware of what they're doing, but he won't do it. They've opted for disgraceful, underhanded tactics to win converts, saying whatever the culture finds appealing. But Paul will state the whole truth openly and plainly, not avoiding the difficult bits or the bits that people don't like. They practice cunning and tamper with God's word. Language uh, tampering here is is language used of a pub owner uh, who waters down his wine uh, to make it go further. Or it's a a gold merchant who who mixes it with another metal to, to kind of spread it thinner. These people, they dilute the strength of God's word. Or they cut it with some other material to rob it of its value. And their tactics seem to be profitable. They make themselves more popular and more successful in the society in which they live. They seem to get results. People love them. But Paul will never do that. Change my message to get better results? No chance. He keeps on telling it straight. And if people don't love the message, well, of course, he says. We expect that. If someone doesn't respond to the faithful message about Christ, that's not the fault of the message or the fault of the messenger. Here in verse 3, Paul reminds us of what it's, what's really going on in people's hearts. And he uses that image of veiling, which we had last week. Verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul knows that the work he's involved in is spiritual work. tells the gospel of Jesus plainly. That's the ministry that he's been given But he knows full well that that won't always be well received. There's the hard-heartedness of people to contend with. We saw that last week, that their veil lies over their hearts. And here he goes further and reminds us that there is also a spiritual opponent involved in that hardness of hearts. The God of this world, that is the evil one, Satan, he has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the true glory of Jesus. Here's our second point this evening. Because we believe that this kind of Bible teaching, Jesus proclaiming ministry that God's given us has such power to change people, we refuse to change the message to get results. Let's just apply this to us as a church. See, there are lots of versions of Christianity out there, aren't there? Lots of alternative gospels, lots of different kinds of ministry. Things that we could go for if we wanted to. Things which would seem to be much more impressive and more, more successful. So we could offer people all kinds of spiritual and material prosperity in this life. That would certainly appeal. It does across the world. We could teach a kind of easy Christianity where we, we say, look, well, you can become a Christian and really nothing needs to change in your life at all. You can just carry on living the way that you've always been living. 
We could do that and we might well find that our church would fill up. We could embrace the culture's values on ethical issues. We might find that no one then has a go at us. We might find that we get offered opportunities, a seat at the table in public life, a platform with which our voice could be heard more widely. Do that and we might even get a government subsidy for some of our work. That's possible. So why wouldn't we? Well, because we've come to believe, like Paul did, that the gospel Jesus taught, the gospel of repentance and forgiveness of sins through the cross, is the only gospel. It's the only good news. And the teaching of the word of God is the means by which God lifts the veil so that people can see the glory of Christ, that they can be transformed to become like Christ. If people don't receive that gospel, well, we're really, we are really sad about that. It's desperately sad. And it's also what we would expect. We know that the God of this world veiled the hearts of those who are perishing, yet we refuse to change the message. To do so would bring disgrace upon ourselves so we won't obscure the truth. We know that to do so won't actually rescue anyone. It might seem like it, but it won't really. And we know that it's not worthy of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We make open statement of the truth and we leave the results to God's. Our final point comes from verses 5 and 6. Verse 5 and 6 are astonishing verses. Uh, here Paul sums up his message. He shows us his view of himself and the amazing work of the gospel uh, in human hearts. So verse 5 and 6. We proclaim Christ as Lord and not ourselves. Now, if Paul were keen to promote himself, if his focus was on gaining friends in high places or a successful career or status or wealth or some material gain, well, he would have certainly lost heart by now because he had none of those things. That's not what's important to him. What's important to him is that the glory of Christ is seen in the gospel. Verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. We proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Now elsewhere in Paul's letters to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, he, he says that he preaches Christ crucified. Now that's not in conflict with what he says here message of the gospel about Jesus is that for forgiveness of our sins, he was crucified, he died and was buried, but that also he rose from death, he ascended into heaven, and he now sits exalted and enthroned, that he's ruling over the entire universe with every spiritual power, every living thing, every human being under his authority. We proclaim Christ as Lord, the crucified Christ as Lord. That's Paul's message. That Jesus is glorified as Lord of all. That's what matters most. Jesus is to be exalted. 
Now, when we keep on declaring Jesus as Lord, when we keep lifting him up as we speak about him, well, look what that does to us as his messengers. We will then be willing to be humiliated. Paul says, we are your servants, Corinthians. As long as Jesus is proclaimed as Lord, we are happy to be treated as slaves among you for his sake. Paul won't lose heart when he doesn't get all the credit or when he isn't recognised or even when he's criticised or humiliated because he's just the servant, he's just the slave both to Jesus and to those whom he serves. Jesus is Lord, not him. And so any flack that comes his way doesn't cause him to lose heart. In fact, Paul is so captivated by what he has come to see of the glory of Jesus Christ, his Lord, that the grief that he gets from others, well, it seems like nothing at all. Listen to his sense of awe in verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, that's the creator God, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul is gazing into the glorious face of Jesus Christ. God's light has shone into his heart and into our hearts that we've come to know the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And Paul will call this knowledge of Christ a treasure in verse 7. And it is like all the treasure in the world to know Jesus, to know him, to see his glorious face is to have everything. And so we cannot lose heart, we just can't. All the pressure, all the hardship, all the criticism and rejection and suffering, it all fades in comparison to the glory that there is in knowing Jesus. So brothers and sisters, if you have become weary in your service of the gospel, let Paul encourage you, do not lose heart. If it feels like you're getting nowhere in trying to share Jesus with your friends and your family, do not lose heart. If the time reading the Bible with your kids every night is more of a battle than a blessing, don't lose heart. If your small group ministry has just hit a bit of a roadblock and you don't know where to take it, don't lose heart. If you're getting grief for being open about your Christian faith at work or in the golf club or in the student halls, don't lose heart. Be humbled and heartened that you've been given this ministry only by the mercy of God. Don't be tempted to change the message in order to get what might seem like better results or an easier time. Be content to be a servant, a slave, and keep proclaiming Jesus as Lord, keeping your eyes fixed on his glorious face. Let's pray together.
God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Our Father, we thank you for what we have seen of the Lord Jesus in the Gospel, that we have seen his glory. Thank you that we can know him and know you. And Father, we pray therefore for any this evening here tonight or uh, serving in gospel churches across the city or across the nation, we pray for our gospel partners across the world. Any who are feeling weary or discouraged, we pray, Lord God, that you would give them a renewed vision of the Lord Jesus Christ that they would see him and be encouraged. We pray that any who are beginning to lose heart, that you would encourage them, you would turn them around, that they may carry on serving you in the glorious ministry to which you've called them by your mercy. We pray that for us too, in Jesus' name. Amen.